crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nuktagal, here in Jerusalem, Israel today. Thank you very much for listening in. On today's program, we're going to be covering Iran, its recent election that, sh- that took place on Friday, the results of that, and what it means for the region. Typically, these elections that Iran goes through every four years for president aren't that uh, interesting, just because the election process themselves is is heavily doctored uh, by the uh, those that are in league to the Ayatollah, the supreme leader of Iran. Uh, he is a dictator by all uh, by all accounts. He rules Iran uh, by virtue of his religious position, um, and he is. the unquestionable leader of Iran, although you would have a president come on the scene, a figurehead, uh, a leader of the executive branch, um, the supreme leader is in ultimate control. So I don't ever want to confuse, when we talk about the president of Iran, uh, confuse him with, say, the president of the United States uh, or the president of a different country. This is a man that is largely a figurehead, and yet in this election that took place on Friday, perhaps there's more to it than just that, as we'll get to. So this election, this was at the end of this two terms by what we call a moderate uh, or less less hard hardliner. Uh, you could put it that way of, of um, uh, Hassan Rouhani. He is out of office after two terms. Typically, Iranian presidents last two terms unless they are assassinated. The only two leaders that haven't lasted two terms since the Islamic Revolution took place, they were assassinated. But so after two terms, we have a new man in power. And that man is somebody that was very much expected to win. He was the one that uh, the the media inside Iran were pushing. He was obviously the one also that the Ayatollah wanted to push. And this was uh, the way that the election came about. I wrote about this last Friday, and you, I think it'd be great for you to read this article. It's, uh, it's entitled, or I entitled it uh, this way, Wolves in Wolves Clothing Fill Ballot in Iranian Election. This, of course, was before the vote took place. And yet we already knew that something different was going to happen because of this process of how the Ayatollah and the Guardian Council that uh, many of them elected by the Ayatollah really do vet the candidates for the election and put forth only the candidates that they think uh, will continue the Islamic Revolution. And so you're not going to have somebody that is going to be on the ballot that doesn't agree with the Islamic Revolution, the tenets of the Islamic Revolution. All of them, whether a mod- whether moderate, pragmatist, conservative, uh, all these different uh, terms we use to describe the type of candidates that, that make up the Iranian list, all of them believe in the fundamental goal of uh, the Islamic Revolution, taking over the Islamic world, pushing against uh, Western powers, restoring once once Muslim lands back into Muslim hands, uh, the use of terrorism, things like that. You have some that would be more willing to negotiate with the West as a means to that end, 
and then some that disagree fundamentally with the use of diplomacy, much would, much would, but would much rather just all-out war uh, for to achieve the ends and the aims of the Islamic Revolution. So typically, there is about 1,500 people that try and sign up for these elections, and normally there's a handful, a couple dozen, a dozen or so that are that make make it to the list across the political spectrum of those that believe in the Islamic Revolution. Plenty of, of Iranians don't and would rather a change. And this, this time around, a lot of the Rouhani's, those types that we've seen, the, 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 the uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, as they've been called by Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, the former prime minister of Israel, uh, they were off the list. And it was almost like the Ayatollah was saying, thumbing his nose at the West, saying, life is good for Iran right now. Uh, we have the sense of divine intervention as we will get. God is on our side right now. I'm just putting all the people that, all the hardliners, all those that are in, in, in a relationship with the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps that have come out of that organization, which again is, is the, the organization that funds the terrorist proxies and directs terrorist proxies across the world, or a cleric, or somebody that is hooked on the Shiite Twelver um, uh, dogma that believes in a, a worldwide cataclysm to bring about the return of their Mahdi or their version of the Messiah. Most of the list, most of the seven candidates that we got down to as of Thursday were one of those people. So these are all, in terms of Western orientation, these are all bad guys. These, All of these people, every single one of them, you do not want to see as president of Iran. Apart from one thing that you might want to see, one reason why you might want to see one of these leaders as the, as the leader of Iran is because it takes away the myth. It removes the cloak. It really does show us that the Islamic revolution is going forward and they're not trying to hide it. The leaders speak like wolves and they are wolves. There's no wolves in sheep's clothing anymore. Only wolves are on the docket. Wolves in wolves' clothing were on the docket, as I said in, in the article on Friday. And so, Mr. Ibrahim Razi, Raisi, uh, he was elected as president. And he's going to be your president for the next, most likely, eight years, if time goes, if time goes on that long. Uh, and what's interesting about this is, is the timing of this election, coming right in between, uh, right after Joe Biden and his administration in power in the United States with trying to get back into a nuclear deal with Iran that will see to it that uh, sanctions are removed and that Iran has access to billions of dollars. So you've got that going on. And you also have Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran, getting old. He's 81. And so it's likely that he is not going to outlive the next two terms of this president. And so he is very much concerned about the perpetuation of the Islamic revolution. He wants to make sure the deck is stacked with people that very much are, are aligned with his jihadi fanatic uh, ideology. 
And so that is why they were, all the other all the other moderates, so-called moderates, were pushed out of the election race, and you just had the so-called hard hardliners. And when we say hardliners, you see you see these terms being thrown about by Western media: hardliner, uh, ultra conservative, uh, far right, even, and just this type of this language that tries to um, compare, at least. Um, let's say, uh, put alongside the conservative viewpoint or the right-wing viewpoint that we have in our Western democracies alongside with this leader uh, of Iran. And this, this, couldn't, this is very much a false comparison uh, completely. This is what somebody that just got into power that is called in, in at least Israeli circles as of today and a bit earlier, uh, the butcher of Tehran, the butcher of Tehran, Ibrahim Raisi. He was the head of the judiciary going back to the early 2000s, and even before that, uh, well, head of judiciary, let's go, going back to last year, he was made such by the Ayatollah, but he was a, part, a chief prosecutor in Tehran, deputy prosecutor, and then chief prosecutor in Tehran, and he was one of three people that really did oversee the murder of thousands of Iranian dissidents. He's got a lot of Iranian blood on his uh, on his head for what he's done in the in the past and the New York Times has a pretty good article about this going back to two, 2017 um, he was attempting to be uh, president back then he didn't get in back then of course it was the second term of Rouhani uh, this is this is what um, they wrote back in 2017 about Raisi and I think the commentary from 2017 uh, when it was unlikely that he would become uh, president from the New York Times is probably better than the commentary you're going to see right now from the New York Times. Why is that? Because the New York Times is all in, all on board with a new, new nuclear deal with the Biden administration and the Iranians going ahead. And it doesn't look good to try and paint the leader, or at least the president of, of Iran, as the butcher of Tehran, when America is getting ready to give them billions of dollars. And so, but back in 2017, they weren't. And so this is why the commentary from back then is probably a little bit better from the New York Times. They wrote this, but Mr. Raisi is not to be lightly dismissed, believed by adherents to be a descendant of the Prophet Muhammad. He is currently the custodian of the shrine of Imam Reza, the wealthiest religious endowment in the Middle East. So back in 2017, he is in charge of a lot of money, billions of dollars a year is what he, he directs and he oversees. He was born and raised in the eastern city of Mashhad, the son of a cleric, and joined the revolution at a young age. During those turbulent days, the 20-year-old was propelled into a series of sensitive positions, serving as a prosecutor in several cities and trained by the Ayatollah Khamenei as a promising young bureaucrat. In 1985, he became the deputy prosecutor of Tehran. It was in that position that Mr. Raisi was impacted in one of the bloodiest episodes in the history of the Islamic Republic. This is your president. <coughs> this is your president, uh, Iran's president right now. He and three others, including the current Minister of Justice, Mustafa, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to attempt his last name, sat on a committee that sent thousands of political prisoners to their deaths. Thousands of political prisoners went to their deaths <clears throat> because of this man. And he is the one that's in power right now. <clears throat> and will be for the next uh, four years. And this is important, again, for these two reasons. 
We've got a hardliner in power in Iran, and the United States is about to pull off a nuclear deal with the Iranians, releasing sanctions and billions of dollars. And we also have the Ayatollah trying to figure out who's going to rule after him. And so this, this man is an important figure. This is from Reuters today. With all 2.28.9 million ballots counted, Raisi was elected with a tally of 17.9 million. Uh, turnout in Friday's four-man race was a record low, 48.8%. There were 3.7 million invalid ballots, which will likely have been uh, mostly blank or protest votes. So he's 60 years old. Uh, Raisi, who takes office in early August, said he'll be a president for all Iranians, whether they voted for him or for the other candidates, or did not vote at all. So he's just 60. That's not too old. Um, and only half the people voted. That is basically your, your uh, which is a wonderful sign um, in terms of the, the health, let's say, of the, of the Islamic revolution, in terms of how many people in Iran actually believe in it. Basically, there are two votes in Iran. It said you either vote in the election... And if, by doing so, you endorse the revolution, or you don't vote, and through and, and you don't party be a party to this this process, which is a vote against the the uh, revolution. And so Khamenei was on in the media in the lead up to the vote, saying, "Come on, come out to vote, come out to vote, come out to vote." This is how we show the West that w the Islamic revolution is healthy. Well, apparently it's not, because less than half of the country voted even went to the ballot box because they know it doesn't matter how they vote. They're not going to get a change from this system, which is deeply disappointing, um, I think, for a lot of Iranians. But this is your new president and in, a, in Iran. And, and if you're going to think about a, a leader of Iran uh, that would com he would compare to, I would just say you could compare him to the Ayatollah himself. He is being trained up. He had never held office before in terms of an elected position, which is probably why the Ayatollah wanted him to be president first off, so that it could add to his credibility, so that in the event that the Ayatollah does die, um, it makes sense to put Mr. Raisi in that position. Of course, uh, there are people that are going to elect that position, but the Ayatollah is making his will known. So this man might be around for a while. And this is also in, important because of what the Bible says about the Iranian Islamic regime right now. For over 30 years, Watch Jerusalem's editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, has been talking about the rise of Iran as the biblically prophesied king of the south mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. This is a really critical chapter of the Bible that puts uh, prophetic end-time events in chronological order. It's extremely helpful to know what event is coming up, where we are in terms of when the Messiah is coming. And Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40 onwards to the end of actually all of Daniel is about this. It is about a chronology of events that starts with a push from this player, as it said there, is the king of the south. King of the south pushes against the king of the north. And Mr. Flurry has talked about how Iran is the leader. The leader of Iran is the king of the south that is going to come together with other proxies. Other nations, in fact, are going to join its, its, its push 
uh, against Europe. And so we know based on that prophecy and the, and the verses that follow verse 40, the nations that are, are going to be allied uh, with Iran, those are Iraq, uh, those are um, Egypt eventually. Egypt was the ancient king of the south in this prophecy from the verses previous before verse 40. Um, we, we're also going to see them gain control of the, na- the nations on the, eastern, on the western side of the Red Sea from Ethiopia all the way up to Egypt and even going around to the southern Mediterranean uh, into Libya. That's what the Bible says, and that's what we're looking for to happen. And this, all these, all, Iran's march as it, as, it, as it procures these nations, that is all a sign that the Messiah's coming is imminent. Because the Islamic revolution is not something that can continue. Because it is going to, by virtue of of its ideology, push, 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 push until it gets pushed back. And when it gets pushed back, that is when the Bible says we are now in that time of the end, which is going to precipitate World War III. And so we know from this prophecy in Daniel 11 and verse 40 that Iran pushes it. So with this man Raisi in power, are we closer to that biblically prophesied push? Well, now we have have a wolf in wolf's clothing, a wolf in wolf's clothing, leading, being the, the vocal figurehead, if you like, of the Islamic Republic, uh, of the Islamic regime, and you have an aging Ayatollah that's looking for somebody to replace him. And so this could be a very important person to lead this king of the south block against the king of the north uh, a german-led europe which will have its own dominant individual as well now why is or why are the iranians or at least the ayatollah on the eve of of or not even on the eve in the middle of nuclear negotiations with the biden administration why does he feel so confident about those negotiations that he is willing to put away all the pretense and put forth a candidate that wishes for the destruction of Israel, wishes for the destruction of the United States, doesn't try to cloak it behind any type of diplomacy. They, he's up front with what he wants and what the goals of the Islamic Revolution are. You would think, you would think if the Ayatollah was worried that there was any chance that... Uh, the Biden administration would not let go of these sanctions so that the Islamic Republic would get the money that it needs to fund its empowerment as the king of the South, its global um, ambitions. You would think that if he was worried that that was even even a, a decision that was still on the table, that he might put forward a moderate. He might put somebody like Rouhani forward again. That's what he did, right, back in 2013. You'll remember that. 2013 or in 2012, who did you have in power? You had Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Mahmoud, wipe Israel off the map, Ahmadinejad. That was who he, he was, calling Israel a cancerous tumor. God willing, it will be removed. He said all things like that. And it wouldn't have fit the Americans to try and, uh, let's say, win public support for a for the Obama administration, I should say, win public support for a nuclear deal with Iran when you have the head of Iran, or at least the president, the figurehead, actively saying, we want to wipe Israel off the map. Israel is still, even right now, 
a bipartisan issue. Perhaps not among the uh, Democrats within government, but plenty of the Democrat voters, and I would say large majority of the Republican base, very much pro-Israel. And so it's a very bad political position, especially on the eve of your second term, or second, uh, hopefully your second term if you're Barack Obama, to put forth somebody or to at least have somebody to put forth as one of your one of your goals and one of your, one of your desires this a deal that's going to see 150 billion dollars go into the pockets of Iran if you've got the leader of Iran saying that they're going to blow up Israel and try to wipe Israel off the map that is not going to be good and so what was the narrative that Barack Obama and his assistant storyteller Ben Rhodes came up with and this isn't something that this isn't something that we're making up here this is something Ben Rhodes readily admitted because that's what you do when you pull something off like this you can't help yourself you can't help yourself to show what you did and what did they do well, they push this narrative that now you have a moderate in power. Now's the time to negotiate with the Iranians. It's either it's either nuclear deal or war. And we need to capitalize on this one moment we have with this moderate in power, Hassan Rouhani. And this is the time to do it. We can't lose this opportunity. And so what happens? Media jump on board. Love the guy paint Rouhani as, as somebody that is going to bring massive change to the Islamic, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran. Here's somebody we can work with, they said. Finally, Ahmadinejad's gone. This is a different leader. This is a different Iran. And so that's what they used. That was a narrative to try and get popular opinion for the nuclear deal. Didn't work. Didn't work. In, in terms of what, uh, what they could do, uh, or at least the swaying the American public. American public was firmly against it. It was one of the big reasons that, that uh, Hillary Clinton didn't get in power and Trump was voted in because of the nuclear deal, because Americans saw that Iran hadn't changed. The, the Ayatollah is still in power. They're still trying to destroy Israel. We know what you did, Barack Obama. And that's why they couldn't even get a vote. They wouldn't have even passed half the half the people in the in the Senate um, because of based on the constituents of the Democrats. Some Democrats defected. They did not want the nuclear deal because it was a horrible deal. Okay, so that was the narrative back then, and I should say that it turned out after the fact that we know that Barack Obama was negotiating a nuclear deal before Hassan Rouhani even became in power. He was negotiating with Mahmoud Ahmadinejad already in 2012, behind the backs of the Israelis, lying to the Israelis, saying that they're not doing it when they were negotiating with Israel's arch enemy. So let's fast forward to 2021. The situation is very similar, eerily similar, I would say, on the cusp of a nuclear deal and you have the United States, apparently the Biden administration wants to get back into this nuclear deal that is going to see billions of dollars of uh, billions of dollars go to Iran. And you would think if the Ayatollah was worried that, uh, or at least the Biden administration was worried also that they weren't going to be able to do this based on a hardliner, that you would have another moderate come into power, but that's not the case. The Iranians know. The Iranians know they're going ahead with doing what they want to do. No need for a sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is who we are. We are Ibrahim Raisi. We are 
ultra-conservative. We believe in our religious uh, system. We are, you would call us, fanatical, but that's just what we are. We believe in the destruction of the state of Israel. That's important. That needs to happen. And this, you, you would think they would throw a bone to the Biden administration. No, they won't. They're going to make it very obvious who they are because they're supremely confident that the Biden administration wants in. They want the nuclear deal so bad that it doesn't matter who rules or who's the president of Iran anymore, the nuclear deal's going ahead. That's what's going to happen. And Raisi knows it. And we know that the Ayatollah knows it. And we already know that the United States is moving forward in this position as we speak. Sanctions have already come down. Not all of them, obviously. Just a few little ones, small ones. The thin edge of the wedge is what we would call it uh, down in Australia, New Zealand way. It's just the start. But you have, you've had a couple of things. You've had some sanctions come down already of, uh, some, of some individuals and then also some energy companies, seven energy firms. You've also had uh, frozen assets that the South Koreans had on the Iranians. They have been unfrozen by the United States, allowed the, those funds to be unfrozen so that the Iranians could pay off their UN dues so they could still sit at the UN. You've had that. And then you have this other story that came out just today, I just saw. U.S. military to withdraw hundreds of troops, aircraft, anti-missile batteries from the Middle East. Actually, this was June 18, so a couple of days ago, Wall Street Journal. So I'm just going to read a part of this. But you see what, how, Iran is, how Iran is thinking. You've got the sanctions already coming down as goodwill gestures. Goodwill gestures for the Iranians. And then you have an, a retreat a retreat of American, American forces from the Middle East, but not just American forces in terms of personnel, American infrastructure, American defensive infrastructure that protects American allies. That's going at the same time. Listen to this. The Biden administration is sharply reducing the number of U.S. anti-missile systems in the Middle East in a major realignment of its military footprint there as it focuses the armed services on challenges from China, Russia, administration officials said. Now, this, this article from the Wall Street Journal, we know that the Wall Street Journal has changed. It's shifted. We've seen, we've, we noted that earlier this year. They are alongside the Biden administration, mainstream media. They are just as bad as the rest now and just as bad as Washington Post and such. And they are just putting out this narrative that they're reducing sharply in the Middle East so they can focus on Russia and China. Right. The Pentagon is pulling approximately eight Patriot anti-missile batteries from countries, including Iraq, Kuwait, Jordan, Saudi Arabia. Another anti-missile system that's known as the Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, or THAAD system, is being withdrawn from Saudi Arabia. And jet fighter squadrons assigned to the region are being reduced, those officials said. The accelerated withdrawals reflect several recent changes on the ground in the Middle East, as well as Washington's own strategic imperatives under the Biden administration. As the war in Afghanistan winds down, there's nothing, no, these weapons uh, are not coming from Afghanistan. It's nothing to do with, the drawdown has nothing to do with Afghanistan, but they need to paint it like that. As the war in Afghanistan winds down, ending two decades of counterinsurgency as a chief driver of U.S. troop, troop and weapons deployments, 
but not for the ones that they're taking away now. But nevertheless, that's what they say. The Biden administration wants to bulk up forces directed at countering China, its chief rival in a national security landscape now defined by competition between the major powers. China may be the chief rival of the United States, but it's not like these, these Patriot missiles of Patriot uh, uh, defense system, the eight systems are going to be plucked up from the Middle East and head over to the South China Sea, head over to Taiwan. That's not happening. That's not happening. That's how it's being painted. Separately, the Biden administration policy toward Iran, the chief U.S. adversary in the Middle East, is focused on negotiations over re-entering re re a revised version of the 2015 International Nuclear Agreement. Because of that, Pentagon officials see a diminished risk of war after the Trump administration's maximum pressure campaign employed more military brinkmanship. It might have done that, but it was a safer Middle East. It was a safer Middle East for four years. And the latest reductions, which haven't been previously reported, began earlier this month, so they're already doing it. Following a June 2 call in which Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin informed Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of the changes, officials said, most of the military hardware being removed is coming from Saudi Arabia. Continuing from the Wall Street Journal, it says this, the Patriot systems, which have been in high demand for years, I wonder why, uh, high demand for years aren't necessarily being moved into the Indo-Pacific region, however. I know that's what we led with in this article. I know it's what the Biden administration is saying, that we need to get, get we need to focus elsewhere. So we're going to take the Patriot systems out. Oh, actually, they're just going back to for going back to the United States for a service and some maintenance. We're not actually removing them and putting them over uh, to protect Taiwan or anything like that. This is just the excuse that we're putting out there that the Wall Street Journal is going to jump onto. Uh, but sending them back to the U.S. for maintenance and freeing up personnel who operate them and guard them also allows the military to increase its focus elsewhere. Again, it says here. Then it continues. The move, this move marks the second time this year the U.S. has removed the Patriot anti-missile batteries from the Middle East this spring. So just a couple of months ago, the U.S. moved removed at least three Patriot missiles from the Saudi from Saudi Arabia, and had considered taking out a Thad. Well, now they're removing most of them. So what do the Iranians think of all this? You've got the Americans pulling out their defensive uh, shield that protects the American allies, and you have America that's willing to negotiate a new nuclear deal uh, with the Iranians, even if they have a hardline, ultra-conservative, religious fanatic uh, that rules, that is the president of, uh, president of Iran. That is where we're at now in 2021. This is this is a dangerous this is a dangerous a dangerous shift. And I went and listened to this uh, press briefing that Media Central here in Jerusalem put together on Thursday about the Iranian election. I asked a question to uh, Mickey Sigal. He he works for the Jerusalem Center of Public Affairs, uh, former Ambassador Dory Gold's outfit, and I asked him about the connection. Uh, between, you know, the, the comparison between what happened with a moderate, with Rouhani, like I explained to you back in 2013, the election of a moderate uh, under the guise of a nuclear deal, the need to have a moderate for the United States storyline, for Barack Obama's storyline. And he said something really interesting. He said this, the Iranian regime is in the mood of divine intervention. Iran sees that they outlasted the Trump administration and now they outlasted Netanyahu. 
than we saw during the last round in Gaza, with Jerusalem being uncertain, with Iran's international Quds right Quds Day right in the middle. They see things as divine intervention in the Iranian regime interest. Then he said, Iran no longer feels it necessary to, to hide its real goals behind plausible idea, uh, uh, deniability. They don't. They don't see the need to lie anymore. Iran sees the bigger picture as good for Iran. They're not afraid to say things they were in the past. It used to hide its support for the Palestinians or Hezbollah or the Houthis. No, we're not really supporting the Houthis. Now it's like, yes, we are. Yes, we are. This is a more bold, more confident Islamic uh, leadership over Iran right now. Because they're moving forward, looking at all their victories. Trump gone. Netanyahu gone. Biden administration in power in the United States. Patriot missile batteries getting flooding out. Looking at the Palestinian street in Israel and Hamas's takeover. Hamas has never been more popular. This is the, the uh, Iranian-backed terrorist group operating out of the Gaza Strip that wants to operate outside of the we- inside the West Bank. Also, this is a poll that was taken uh, back between June 9th and 12th. 1,200 Palestinians. So there's a lot of people that are in this, in this uh, vote here, uh, in this poll. Poll showed that 77% of Palestinians believe that Hamas has come out a winner in its last war with Israel. 65% think that Hamas achieved its declared goal behind firing rockets at Israel to stop the eviction of a number of Arab families from the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jirah. Are those Arabs, Palestinian families that are illegally occupying those, those homes, are they still there? Yes, they are. Stop the evictions, didn't it? Hamas dictated policy on Israel inside East Jerusalem with heavy endorsement of the Biden administration. That's reality, and the Palestinian street sees it. And Hamas is gaining popularity. The results show that 72% of respondents think that Hamas's decision to launch rockets at Israel cities came in defense of Jerusalem and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. According to the poll, if new Palestinian presidential elections are held today, Hamas leader Ishmael Haniyeh would get 59% of the votes, as opposed to 27% to Fatah leader Mahmoud Abbas. Hamas would also win in parliamentary elections, the poll found. More than 40% said they would cast their ballots for Hamas as opposed to 30% for Fatah. Even if you remove Mahmoud Abbas, the unpopular leader of Fatah, from power and get in one of the other leaders um, that wants to rule over Fatah, Hamas would still win. Hamas would still win the parliamentary legislative elections. So Iran's looking at that, and you can be sure... Iran signed off on those that May 10th attack on Jerusalem. You can be sure. I mean, it was Quds Day, right? I think the day after. Their international day of, of talking about how they're going to take liberate Jerusalem from the Jews. Ibrahim uh, Rasi, or Isi, sorry, the new leader of, of, in Tehran, the president, he said as much in a visit to Hezbollah back in 2019 in Lebanon, we're going to liberate all of Jerusalem. That's their goal. And they're acting like God is on their side right now. Everything is green lights for the Islamic Republic of Iran. And that's why you have to look to biblical prophecy to see that, is, that Iran is actually going to gain power, more power than they have right now. It's really hard to see how that would have happened under President Trump. 
And how that would have happened under President Trump and Netanyahu, I think Netanyahu did uh, tried really hard to ensure that the Arab states that have normalization agreements with Israel, as well as Saudi Arabia, that they know that under Netanyahu, Israel is going to remain strong. They're not going to kowtow to an Iranian, um, a pro-Iranian American regime that's in power right now. That really does frighten the Saudis to see the pullout of the Patriot missiles. It, 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 even though they have their own defensive systems, it just show, it's just a sign. It's a sign of weakness. And the Middle East runs on signs. It does. The Iranians do. You know, if you don't bolster your forces, if you're removing forces, that's a sign of weakness. And that emboldens belligerent powers. And it emboldens belligerent fanatical, religious fanatical powers, even, the, even more so. And Prime Minister Netanyahu has done his, his best, or did his best, to try and tell vocally the Arab states that the United States might, might go back into a nuclear agreement, but if it comes to Israel's security or a relationship with the United States, don't worry, we've got your back, Saudis, or at least we will defend, we will stand up for our rights against the United States if we have to. Now, everyone in the Israeli media just, this was, this was two weeks ago now, I believe, just jumped on this saying, how dare he? I think it was the, uh, at the end of, of um, uh, Yossi Cohen, uh, the, the, the head of the Mossad, at the end of his uh, tenure. He announced that in his speech, or at least Netanyahu said that. And the Israeli media and Lapid and others said that we shouldn't be saying those type of things in public. We need to take our disagreements behind closed doors. Netanyahu's saying, I better say this in public or we're going to lose the Saudis. We're going to lose the support that we have with the UAE and the Saudis and the, the anti-Iranian alliance that we've built. Because if, if, if we go along with the United States, then you're going to see the Saudis have no choice but to back down as well against the Iranians. So that's why he was stating that. And so we have this little window of time, it seems. We know President Trump, based on biblical prophecy, is going to return uh, to power in the United States and soon. And the focus, or at least a big, a big um, benefactor of that return to power is going to be the state of Israel. There's going to be a big need for Trump to return to power. Based on these scriptures in 2 Kings chapter 14, uh, Mr. Gerald Flurry wrote an article, What Will Happen When Trump Regains Power? I'll leave a link for this uh, in the show notes of today's program. I really do suggest, if you're Israeli or if you care about this region, that you read that article and read the, chat, read the subhead about the state of Israel. Because it does portend that in this short term, we might see increased violence. We already have, right? We already have. Inside Jerusalem, flare-up, Gaza war as well. But there is going to be a need for Donald Trump to come back so that Israel can actually receive some help. Iran right now believes divine intervention is helping out its cause. It is bold. It believes that it does not need to hide its colors whatsoever. 
It believes that the United States is going to sign a deal no matter what to get Iran the money it needs to fight offensively. Biblical prophecy says that this king of the South pushes, it pushes, it has a very pushy foreign policy. And we are going to see that. And we are going to see that more and more as it's emboldened and empowered by the United States under President Biden. And so there is going to be a need for President Trump to come back. There is, there are many prophecies that are contingent upon a resurgent, powerful, and I would say fanatical Islamic Republic. The Islamic Republic is going to wage war on a superior power. That, is being, that will be, eventually, that's going to be a united Europe. And the united Europe, led from Germany, is going to come, surround them, and just knock them out very fast. It's going to be nothing to take care of them. So what does that tell you, if that's what the prophecy says? It tells you that you have a power that really does overestimate their abilities, to come up against a superior, uh, push against a superior force like that. It also tells you that it's probably been a policy of appeasement as well for quite some time, which Europe has done uh, against the Iranians as well. But it also seems like there is a religious element to this push, right? Because why would you do it otherwise? Well, Iran believes that it's win-win for them based on their Shiite ideology, this is what um, the founder of the Islamic Revolution said, Ayatollah uh, Khomeini. We do not worship Iran, we worship Allah, for patriotism is another name for paganism. I say, let this land burn. That is Iran, burn. I say, let this land go up in smoke, provided Islam emerges triumphant in the rest of the world. It wasn't about self-preservation of the Iranians. They don't act... The Islamic Republic does not act like a rational power. You give them power, they will use power. For them, it's win-win. It's win-win. Many of these Twelvers that, the, that Raisi belongs to and others, they believe that their chaos is the primary requisite for the return of the Twelfth Imam, their Messiah figure. They believe that they can hasten his return by intentionally stirring up global chaos. They believe that they don't have to win the war. They just have to start it. That is religious fanaticism. And right now, you've got the Iranians with a religious fanatic as their supreme leader. You have the Iranians as a religious fanatic as their president. And you have the United States that seems willing to give them all the money that they desire, at least in terms of sanction relief. That's not a good combination. And it's a combination that is going to lead eventually to this push uh, against the king of the north, as it reveals, as it said in that prophecy uh, there in Daniel chapter 11. Bernard Lewis, one of the most respected commentators in the Middle East, writer of a billion books, <laughs> he understood and he forecast the rise of Islamic terrorism and what that would do 
to dominate the region and really become one of the major issues facing us today. He said this, mutually assured destruction, talking about the Iranian regime, mutually assured destruction is not a deterrent. It is an inducement. It's an inducement for the Islamic Republic. And so when we do see when we see the Islamic Republic really believing that God is on their side, as they believe right now, that there is some divine intervention happening to further the Islamic Republic, to further, to, to, to further the, the revolution, then we know we're getting close to this time this, of this biblically prophesied push that, again, does start this chronology of events that are leading to the Messiah's coming when finally war will be done when it, it'll, be, it'll be hard, for very hard, to the likes of which this world has never seen for a few years, and it'll take, Iran is going to light a match that the world will not know how to extinguish. But the Bible says, and even the continuation from Daniel 11, verse 40 onwards, says that um, there is going to be a prince that rises up that there is not going to be this false messiah, the 12th imam is not coming back out of a well. But you're going to see the messiah come in clouds and put his feet on the the Mount of Olives, as it says there uh, in the book of uh, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14. And he's going to stop the war that the Iranians start. And so while this is a a, a sobering uh, view... Of the of the Iranian uh, elections, I would say that it is a big should be a very big wake up call to how the Iranians are thinking about themselves right now. <clears throat> it shows we are close to that time, and it shows that we are close to the time of that ends it as well of the Messiah's coming when he'll set up his his kingdom, and he'll put down and rule with a rod of iron, a rod of iron that's going to force people to get along. That's going to force people to love one another. That's going to force nations to obey. And this world has no concept of that right now, especially in the West, or at least in the West it doesn't, where anyone does what they want to do. That's not the way it's going to be in the future because God is going to ensure that peace comes. And peace comes as a result of fulfilling God's perfect and just law. And that is what's going to come from Jerusalem as it says in the book of Micah and the book of Isaiah, flow out from here and gradually fill the knowledge of God, filling the whole earth. And that will bring about peace. The government of God with the law of God put together on earth. And that will bring about peace. And there's going to be no more counterfeit religions uh, out there that are going to grab a hold of mankind's deceived minds and push the world towards war like the Iranians are doing. If you want to understand more about this, and and I definitely believe that you should, if you've gotten this far in this program, please request Mr. Gerald Flurry's book, The King of the South. It goes through these prophecies. It puts them in time order, as I've said, and it goes into far greater detail, proving Iran's role in end-time events and how that is going to affect Jerusalem and then affect the rest of the world on the timetable towards the coming of the Messiah. That's all for today's program. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.